All right, and welcome to Fast Break Breakfast NBA Podcast. My name is Keith, here alone for an interview episode. Chuck and John will be back later in this week. Spoiler, it's going to be early. I think we're going to post something on Wednesday morning we have to move our schedule around we are having a grizzlies watch party on wednesday night which is part of the issue so if you are in the nashville area come on out to double dogs sylvan heights for the grizzlies thunder game on wednesday night at seven we will have giveaways all sorts of prizes and drink specials but for the rest of you just make sure you listen to the new episode that will be out a day early on Wednesday. Also, I think I finally found my team for the tournament this season. There's a Vanderbilt alumni team, which drives John, the UT fan, crazy. But anyway, I think I'm throwing my support behind this Vanderbilt alumni team, the Memorial Magic alums, featuring such greats as John Jenkins, Derek Byers, Lance Goldborn, and many, many others, Shane Foster. So if you want to support us and this basketball team, we are trying to be one of the fan recruiters that has entered into winning prize money in case this team wins the whole thing. And to do that and to support us, go to fastbreakbreakfast.com. That's right. I just redirected the domain name to go to the voting page for the Memorial Magic alums. That's right. Go to fastbreakbreakfast.com. Vote for that Vanderbilt team. And maybe, just maybe, there's an outside shot that we can win it big. My guest today is an NBA writer for CBS Sports. He is the host of the Eye on Basketball podcast and is editor emeritus of Hardwood Paroxysm, Mr. Matt Moore. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. This is exciting. I don't think I've ever said emeritus out loud before. That just, <laughs> I'm, I'm unschooled. Um, you are the creator of Hardwood Paroxysm, which is fun. Our podcast was found on Hardwood Paroxysm for a while before we got absorbed by the step back. Uh, people ask me, and I've never actually heard a great explanation, uh, what, was the, uh, what was the impetus of Hardwood Paroxysm as in the name? Like, where did the name come from? Uh, so I was in Austin, Texas, and I was getting married, and my wife said, um, you have to stop being at the bars all the time. You have to stop gaming <laughs> at the bars all the time. Uh, she was like, she was like, you know, we were getting married, and, and she was like, you can be at the bars some, just not every night. Uh-huh. Like, well, I'm gonna need a hobby, and so I decided to start a sports blog with my friend, and uh, we bat around a couple of names. The original name was gonna be Upside and Motor, right. but Upside and Motor was taken actually by a young man named Rob Mahoney who now writes for Sports Illustrated. Sure. Uh, so we were batting around different names, and I kept coming back to, there were two moments that always stuck out to me from when I was a kid and how much I love the NBA. And the first was Dikembe Mutombo holding the ball over his head and crying, just like on the court, sobbing with joy after the Nuggets upset the Sonics. And then the other one was Alonzo Mourning falling backwards with his hands in the air as his teammates dogpiled him when he hit a massive three-pointer to lift the Hornets over the Celtics. Um, and those two things, I was just like, it, they were these fits of joy. And I was like, it's like a paroxysm. And I was like, oh, I like that word, paroxysm. And I was like, basketball paroxysm, hardwood paroxysm. Yeah. I wanted something that was oblique enough to make it kind of cool. Um, 
while still having some sort of reference to something tangible. And so uh, that's where the name comes from. So thank you, Dikembe Mutombo and Alonzo Mourning. I, ob- oblique is the right word. Like paroxysm is, is again, much like emeritus. I'd never said that word out loud. And I was like, I, I'm not, Here's I kind of think I know what it means, but. Here's the awful part. It means a fit of joy. But the awful part is this, is that called a paroxysm, went on podcast, called it paroxysm. People talked about it on, on chats and everything, and everyone calls it paroxysm. Found out two years after I founded the site, it's paroxysm. Oh. Yeah, it's supposed to be hair with, hard with paroxysm, but I will never call it that. We have, <laughs> we, have re, we have repurposed the word. I like that. You've repurposed the word because I've, I've only heard the pronunciation, paroxysm. Uh, much like we've repurposed fast break. We've, we've made it one word. I don't care what spell check says. Fast break breakfast is going to, I think our goal is to have Oxford Dictionary to declare that both spellings are correct. I don't know how many years it's going to take, but uh, we, uh, we have that in our sights. Um, before we get much farther, it is our tradition to talk about breakfast with our guests. So I'm curious. We are recording this on Monday night, right before the national championship game, a dark day on the NBA calendar when we acquiesce to the immoral NCAA. But did you have breakfast on this Monday morning? Uh, no, I did not have breakfast today. Are you a usual breakfast eater? Uh, I am spotty. I am a, a spotty breakfast eater. So um, when I am on days that I'm focused on my diet, which uh, I either go completely off or hardcore, uh, I have a bowl of oatmeal in the morning, instant cut steel oats with apples and cinnamon. Okay. Um, and then I will occasionally with my wife divulge and and enjoy some sort of nice breakfast. I would say that like my favorite breakfast item though is uh, a really good egg sandwich. If you make a really good breakfast sandwich with egg and ham, I am all about that. I think breakfast sandwiches are incredibly underrated when done right. I love a breakfast sandwich. Are you putting any, is there a hot sauce on there? Yes. What, do you, do do you have sauce. a preferred hot sauce? Um, it, well, I used to just go with the, the standard Tabasco, but now I'm in a, I, if I make them at home, I always put a little sriracha on it. Oh, that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a perfect breakfast sandwich. Now you live, uh, do you live in Denver? Is that right? I live, I live about 45 minutes North. Um, there's Fort Collins, which is about an hour oh, yeah. North. Yeah. And I live about 15 minutes South of that in a town called Loveland. Okay. And so I'm, I'm curious, what's your connection? I see on Twitter and for a couple of years, like when I first discovered that there was an NBA Twitter, you had like that Grizzlies avatar. I'm curious, what, what is your connection to, to the Memphis Grizzlies or how, how'd you get involved like cheering for them? Uh, so I was starting this blog and, and everyone kind of had a team then, right? Like all the bloggers had a team, like Tom Ziller is a Kings fan and, uh, and Mike Prada over at SB nation is, is a, uh, a wizards fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and up and down the line, like Kelly Dwyer's a longtime bulls fan, Trey Kirby's a bulls fan, et cetera. Um, so I was like, okay, well, I kind of need a team. And yet I grew up as like an Alonzo morning fan. That's like who I chased is uh-huh. I was a Hornets fan. And then I was a heat fan. Like I was an Alonzo morning fan. Yeah. And I've liked a lot of different teams. I like the Houston Rockets uh, back in 94. That's my favorite actual team of all time is the 94 Rockets. Um, I very much loved the 2004 through 2008 Phoenix Suns with Steve Nash and seven seconds or less. Oh yeah, me too. Um, so I had all these kind of things, but I was like, well, I need something that's actually going to have some sort of attachment to me. And I grew up in Arkansas and the closest team to where I grew up before the Thunder moved there was the Memphis Grizzlies. And I, and really, this was my thought. I, honest to God, this is my thought process. Oh, I'll be a fan of the Grizzlies because they'll never be good. And that way I can just like be like a casual fan and it won't interfere with my writing about anything because they'll never be involved in anything serious. Yeah. 
And then two years later, Grit Grind happened, and now that's all happened. Um, so I very much just kind of picked them up. Um, I became a fan during the darkest time, really, of that franchise with Mark Iavaroni as coach. Oh, yeah. Um, and the, the one year of Juan Carlos Navarro, a.k.a. La Bamba, when he was there, uh, the, the year before Pal was traded, all of these things, uh, that is when – I wound up being a Grizzlies fan. So I kind of kept them as an attachment, uh, much like Zach Lowe kind of faded out of fanhood with the Boston Celtics. I am in much the same place. I have a soft spot in my heart for the Grizzlies. Um, I appreciate what they've done for the town, but at this point, you know, part of it is like I get paid no matter who wins. So <laughs> that, that winds up impacting how you look at things. That's pretty awesome. I get, I don't get paid no matter who wins. So it's, it's pretty fun. Um, yeah. So I've been a Grizzlies fan kind of since the very, I guess the, the, initiation of the Memphis Grizzlies. I live in Nashville and was just a agnostic. I was kind of cheering for the Suns teams like around 2000 when the Grizzlies were announced. So I hopped on hardcore when they were like, oh, they're coming to Memphis. That's close enough. This is our state's team. This is very exciting. But anyway, since you are a guy with a big national voice and you do have an affinity for the Grizzlies, I wanted to ask you a couple questions about the Grizzlies. Um, the Grizzlies are pretty much locked in to playing the Spurs in the first round. And with that comes they're locked into probably losing to the Spurs in the first round. So I'm curious if the Grizzlies lose in the first round to the Spurs, uh, is this season a success for the Grizzlies? No, you know, it's, it's just not, um, this team should have been a four seed. This team was good enough to be the four seed. This team should have been the four seed. Uh, but this team is not the four seed, and the reason is because they screwed around in too many games versus bad opponents. Their record versus teams that are horrible is is, is horrible in and of itself. Um, I've got it right here. The Memphis Grizzlies are are seventeen and twenty versus teams over five hundred, and only twenty five and fifteen versus teams below. Uh, they have as many losses versus teams below five hundred as the Portland Trailblazers, um, as the New Orleans Pelicans. This is really what separates them: is is their inability to beat bad teams has put them in this position to have to face the Spurs and probably get knocked out in the first round. Um, in order for that to be a success, they need to make the second round. Now, if they knock off the San Antonio Spurs, which is obviously unlikely, but so it was in 2011, um, then, hey, good season, but really good season. And, and they'd have a puncher's chance versus the Houston Rockets. But realistically, this the way that everything has played out, I don't think you can consider it a success. They had too much talent. Uh, too much momentum and every reason for it to think that this is going to be a different kind of year and for it to just wind up with the kind of the same old thing of up oh, got beat by the Spurs again. I, I consider that to be a disappointment. See, I do too. And it's really strange because I picked them for the under, I, like I didn't think they were going to win whatever it was like 43 games or something. I thought it was going to be a rough season, but we've gotten arguably career best. I mean, Definitely career best offensive numbers for Mike Conley. He's averaging 20 points, six assists, you know, the, the career high in the points he's hitting. He's taking six threes a game. He's hitting 40% of them, which if you told me that in preseason, I'd be like, wow, that's amazing. This sounds awesome. Marcus Saul also averaging over 20 points a game for the first time in his career. And he started shooting threes. And he's, you know, again, he's like upper 30s. He's, he's been in the 40s this season. And I would thought, oh, this sounds like the season went great. But then like you say, but then if you told me, oh, but despite all that, they're the seven seed and they're going to play the Spurs and they're almost certainly going to lose. So I, I feel weird. Like, like they're probably going to hit that over yet. I still feel very disappointed. And you, you mentioned rightly, they've struggled against these bad teams, but also a lot of that was the weirdness of the Chandler Parsons of like them forcing Chandler Parsons to play. So with all that, with those good things and with the weird Chandler Parsons situation, I'm curious, how do you think uh, Dave Fisdale 
has done in his first season? And how do you think he's done specifically compared to the job Dave Yeager did the last few years? I think it was better than Yeager just because he's he's kind of gotten rid of the malaise and just overall uh, – I, I hesitate to use the word whininess, but – Jaeger was always complaining about things, the yep. roster, the, uh, you know, the Rodney hood debacle, like uh, constantly har- harping on these things. Fisdale has, I think, struggled at times, especially with his, like he's gotten really desperate with trying to change the idea of, of what the team is and like starting Andrew Harrison. Like, come on, man. Like, don't, <laughs> don't you know, keep, I understand that you're like, we're going to do whatever it takes to win, but that's, that's not going to get it done. That, that is not going to save you. Yeah. His, so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep shuffling until we're a contender. And now yeah. here is Tony Douglas. Like, no, I don't like that shuffle's not going to work. Like there's no, there's no reason to do that. Right. So I, I think that that's like a um, I, I think that, that that is part of it. I, I also think that I think I like what he's brought in terms of energy. I like what he's done in terms of wh- how he's opened up. Things with. Uh, Conley, the energy that he's brought there, um, I think that the team itself continues to they get bored in the regular season and they get tired and then they want to go back to the same thing they've always done. And Fisdale knows they can't do that. They just can't, they just cannot do that same thing over and over and over again. And so until they figure out a plan, a plot, a way for them to actually work this out um, and how, ha- and really adopt that new system, I think next year he'll be good. I think he was, I think there were good things to take from this season. I think next year he'll be very good. Uh, but he's going to have to get through, and and everybody's going to have to buy in, and and that's on the players to a degree. This is one of those things that gets really touchy because in the in NCAA, the co- the coaches have all the power; they have all of the power, and the NBA, the players have all of the power, and yet in the NCAA, the players get all the blame, and the coaches get all the credit, and in the NBA, it's completely opposite, where the coaches get all of the blame and the players get all of the credit. Well. If the Grizzlies are going to buy into a new way of doing things, if they're going to get past grid grind and evolve, that's going to have to be on the players embracing that. And they've been reticent and slow to do so. And they've also been slow to really adapt and and go full bore in games they need to, which again gets back to their record versus teams under 500. Yeah, that boredom you mentioned, it's been a staple of of these players. You know, like we always talk about the grit grind hustle, but no matter who the coach was, you know, Hollins, Jaeger, now Fisdale, they, they have seemed bored. Um, looking at the good offensive numbers, I'm curious, do you think that the good offensive seasons statistically from Gasol and Conley have actually maybe hurt the Grizzlies by taking some of their defensive focus? No, I just think that they're adapting to new schemes and that always takes time. Mm-hmm. Um, you saw the same thing happen with, um, with Billy Donovan last year where he he, try, he came in and tried to change schemes and did a bunch of different things and finally they just settled on one thing. I'm like, all right, we're going to do this. I think that's most of it. I don't think the offensive flow is is really kind of part of it. I do think Marcus Gasol's got a lot of miles on him. I think that they've got to do a better job about getting those guys rest throughout the season because, you know, and I think next year will be better again because I think Deontay Davis will take on a bigger role and that will give Mark some more time. Uh, I think they'll probably find a point guard option. I think Wade Baldwin will actually develop into being a rotation point guard. And if that's the case, then, you know, Mike Conley won't have to play as many minutes. And if they can do that, I think they'll have the energy to better kind of balance offense and defense. Yeah, I think when you point to Deontay Davis and Wade Baldwin, part of the disappointment for me this season has been, I thought, like, if this team was going to end up around 40, 45 wins and losing the first round, I was hoping a story or a takeaway from this season would be, but... 
we have played Deontay Davis and Wade Baldwin, and we know what we have. We've been building towards the future, or Jarrell Martin. And it turns out those guys haven't been playing at all. So that, that's, kind of a, that's kind of a big disappointment for me. However, when you look at the veteran team, and maybe they will go toe-to-toe with the Spurs for six games or so, or maybe seven, um, they are still, since the Chandler Parsons shutdown, I keep trying to tell myself this, and this is the, the Stockholm Syndrome of being a, a big Grizzlies fan, uh, they are still 4-1, and one. In those games that they've started, Mike, Tony, uh, Vince Carter, Joe Michael Green, and Mark Gasol. So since they've since their preferred, uh, you know, starting lineup post Chandler Parsons, they're still four and one. The only loss being at the Spurs. So that's what I, that's what I tell myself before I go to sleep at night that maybe they can still, uh, you know, live to fight another day in in the playoffs. I'm curious over this grit grind uh, run, which team do you think uh, was the best of all those Memphis teams? Mm, the 2013 team. That yeah. that team was that team was really good. It, that was a really good team. Um, just with the depth that they had, they they had more depth that season than they really ever had otherwise. Uh, Jared Bayless was great for them and really mm-hmm. fit in well. Um, Quincy Pondexter, I thought, gave them good minutes. Um, they just got contributions from the guys that they needed, and uh, I thought that that team had what it took. And just you know, they ran into a buzzsaw in San Antonio, but making the Western conference finals should be a bigger deal than it kind of is treated sometimes in my opinion. Like, you know, and, and you, you go back and you just, you look at Bayless gave them such a good dynamic as a combo guard off the bench. Um, and then, you know, Ed Davis giving them some minutes and, and even guys like John Lure just filling in here and there and being able to play a little bit. Um, I, I thought that that team was really well balanced and even, you know, Tayshaun Prince, for all of his, his faults, like he still gave them good defense. So that to me was the best one that I can remember. Yeah, I really love that team. I love the next year's team, Jaeger's first year. I thought that team was also just stacked talent-wise. Um, it brings up the question of when a lot of times when national media or just you know conversations on Twitter are talking about the Grizzlies and other teams that aren't really in the media focus all the time, they talk about like, oh, they should blow it up. They're not contenders. To which I always maintain like, well, the Grizzlies were contenders, you know, in in 2013 and then 14 and 15. Like they put together large stretches where they won 70, just you know, 70. 4% of their games type thing. But I'm curious, do you think um, the Memphis team, now that Conley is getting older, even though, again, he's looked spectacular this year, but Gasol later on in his career, Parsons, the signing is not looking great. Obviously, Tony Allen and Zach Randolph are near the end of their careers. Do you think uh, that Memphis should do some sort of rebuild and blow it up? No, no. I think you... I just keep going back to this, man. Like, look, when you blow up a team, um, there's a chance that you can bring in something new and everything gets fresh and shiny. And maybe you land that franchise player, and then two years later, you've rebuilt. And man, what a great job. You want to know what the most common result is? The most common result is you turn into the Magic or the Kings. Yeah. That's what happens is, first of all, you're going to fire your coach because nobody survives a rebuilding effort. Like, it just doesn't. Like, it just, like no one survives it. Almost no one survives a rebuilding effort. And so you're going to, and now you started flipping over coaches. And now you're a small market with no marquee star, most likely. You have to be able to not only hit in the lottery, but hit in the lottery in a year in which there actually is a player that is worthy of that kind of, of star status. So that guy's got to be able to do that. Um, and then you know what ends up happening is you get in the cycle where you're bad and you can't get a good coach and you can't sign any good players and you miss in the draft and then it starts all over and you fire your coach and then it's just this repeating cycle. Hold on to good players as long as possible. Like hold on to that kind of thing. Like this team has been special. Mike Conley's got more years left in him. Marcus Saul's got more years 
years left in them. They do have some young talent in the pipeline. Give this team some time and let it continue to to roll because all it takes is that one year, that one year when things go right and you can make the finals. And even if they don't win, making the finals is enough for this team to, to, to walk away and say that team was special and it continues a winning tradition in Memphis versus letting it slip back into irrelevancy. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I've kind of been, although I feel like my patience is being... I, I guess I'm in a kind of a down place right now. So I feel like my patience is being tested a little bit, but I've always been like, why would we possibly blow it up? Like the NBA season is forever. You know, it's like eight or nine months long. I like my team winning 60% of their games and then having a puncher's chance when it comes around to the playoffs. And I think it was, uh, I think I heard Kevin Leip from the Memphis Flyers say recently that he didn't think that a, a teardown, like the market in Memphis probably couldn't handle a teardown, which I kind of agree with. I live in Nashville and have season tickets and resell most of my tickets. And like if the Grizzlies lose two or three games in a row, like it's impossible to sell tickets for the next game. So I, I, I'm as long as Seattle doesn't have a franchise, I'm very wary of the Grizzlies ever deciding to be bad on purpose. And I don't, I don't really think they're going to. Um, Another team that I'm kind of interested in and I want to talk to you about for the last couple minutes is uh, the Denver Nuggets, a team you get to cover some based on your Twitter feed. I'm curious, with the Nuggets this season, and now it looks like they're probably going to lose out on the playoffs to the Portland Trailblazers and Yusuf Nurkic. So I'm curious, do you have any sense, like, what's the attitude like around the team and the fans of losing out to the playoffs to Nurkic? I mean, the fans are mad. Um, the fans are split between being mad at the team for trading him and then being mad at Nurkic because those that know kind of what happened is when he was here. Um, this is the risk of trading in division. And I was surprised when they made the move in part because the people I talked to in the front office had said, we know how good he is and how talented he is. We don't want to trade him in the West. They didn't even want to trade him in the Western Conference. Um, you know, they, they had talks with the Pelicans and were really hesitant to, but they just – no market materialized and they felt like they had to get him out of there. And so – they wind up moving into Portland and then he takes off because that's just very much the kind of person that he is, is to, you know, he's getting his touches and he's getting his minutes and he's a starter and everyone loves him. And so now he's really thriving. And that makes a lot of sense for kind of who, who Nurkic is at this age, um, which is not to say that he can't grow out of some of his bad habits in, in Denver. Um, but it's, I think it's tough for Denver fans and I think management as well, because they know that there was no alternative here. Um, he was a nightmare. He was just a nightmare. He left the game entirely at one point. Um, and when by that, I mean, he didn't, you know, he didn't, he wasn't taken out. I mean, he took out, he was taken out of the game and then left the bench and then got in his car and left the arena. Yeah. Um, I think I remember, uh, Adam Mara is talking about that and that was a story I didn't feel like I'd heard, you know, and it was like, yeah, I, like I, had that, that, I missed it the night up. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And so that happened. Um, he, he's just had, had a lot of attitude issues and look, it, it comes across as me like slagging the kid and it's like, no, look, maybe, maybe it really was just Michael Malone because a lot of the veterans still kind of have his back. They came up to him and hugged him after that, that Portland game, which I thought was stunning for a guy to have kicked your ass. And then for you to be like, give me your buddy. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> like I would be like, yeah, all right, well, good on you kid respect, but next time I'm going to get you. And that's not, you know. That, I, I thought that was really weird, which does show you like if, the, if that's the situation, it does make you wonder, you know, what the situation is with with Coach Malone and those guys. So there's a lot of things going on with that dynamic. It should also be noted, Nurkic is out with that injury. The Blazers lost to the Minnesota Timberwolves. The Nuggets are a game and a half back. Um, it's also notable that one of the things that happened with Nurkic over the last couple of years is 
uh, he had a, a small injury that turned into a major injury in 2000 uh, when he was rookie season. And basically he was, he was the, the, you know, yes, training staff. And they're like, yeah, he could, he could return, but he's still sore. He's going to take his time. And he just did not play the rest of the season. And then he was supposed to come back from a knee injury last year. Um, and then it took him three months longer than he was supposed to before he, he got back. Um, so injuries have not been something that he's exactly bounced back from. Now he's much happier in Portland, so maybe he'll really effort and, and be back for their playoff run. But I, I think it's something that bears watching as the season goes forward. You recently wrote an article on CBS Sports uh, about Nikola Jokic, uh, who I have a just an enormous crush, like most, I guess, of NBA fans. Um, and it, it had him narrating uh, the passes as he went, like over his highlights. He was talking about, you know, like like what he was thinking or what he was seeing. So uh, mainly, I want to know: uh, is there any cure for Jokic fever? Because I got it. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. It's gonna be interesting. I, I, you're always. You're cautious. I, I waited. I waited on Jokic. I didn't do it last year. I didn't do it to start this year. I didn't do it when he first got hot. I waited and I waited and I waited because I wanted to see if he could keep it up. And there are still, you know, there's that concern that a kid's going to have one good season and then, you know, kind of fade away. There are, there are concerns with with Jokic that go with his defense. Um, he has a terrible diet that he's going to have to kick. He has just an absolutely horrible diet, which is why he's gained weight as the season has gone on. Uh, he's going to play with the Serbian national team this summer, which is going to only make him more tired. So there's like a lot of things going on here that that are mitigating. But at the same time, the kid's production is just out of this world. Nobody's done what he's done in terms of efficiency and combination of of rebounds, passes, assists, and scoring it with his true shooting mark. I mean, he's just one of the most efficient players in the NBA this season. That's just a, fl- a flat-out fact. So um, I think that he's been fantastic. I think he's been really great. I think that he's got a bright future ahead of him. But it's going to be on both the Nuggets to put the right pieces around him and on him to accept the challenge of working to get better, to adapting his body so that it becomes stronger and more durable and able to make more of an impact and and be you know in better condition while also not losing any of the touch and, and the good things that make him so comfortable in his game. So there's a lot to kind of manage there. But, man, he's a special player, and it took me a long time to kind of see that so you're telling me there's there's no cure for the fever there's no cure for nervous fever there's no <laughs> cure for yoga fever all the fevers are uncurable we just got epidemics wandering around yeah the only prescription is more Jokic. all right well thanks matt for uh taking time out of your day to uh come on our podcast you got anything you want to plug over there on cbs uh i'm gonna have about i'm gonna have several thousand words on the mvp race this week you should check it out um oh yeah just gonna, I'm you gonna break just... it down and you just shared with us. You have a vote. Uh, yeah, I don't want to make too much of a be, uh, of a deal out of it, but I was. What's well, a big deal now? It's on our show. I was happy. I, I, you know, I was, I was grateful. I, I've wanted to be a part of the the voting process, uh, not just because it's like, oh, it's cool, but like I really do take the time to try and know as much as I can about these things. Like I try, I try very hard to have the most informed opinion that I possibly can. And if you, you know, like I've sat down this week and I before I even knew I had to vote. Like I've watched every single James Harden possession offensively this season. I've watched all of his defensive positions. I've watched all of, I've watched almost all of Russell Westbrook's. I've watched all of LeBron's and Kawhi's. Like I've just sat down and just watched them. Just my mind. I just watched and watched and watched. I was holding my daughter while she was sleeping, and I just sat there and, and watched them to see what their their play was like and how that corresponds to their numbers. Now I'm not the only guy that does in depth film review, and I'm, and maybe that approach of watching every position is not as useful. Um, but it does show that at least I'm putting in the work, and so I'm grateful to have the opportunity. And um, we're going to break down in detail kind of the pros and cons of every argument for all the the four of the key MVP candidates this week. 
That sounds awesome, and I look forward to it. I've definitely made my argument, but I keep changing my mind, so I don't know. Yeah, I'll, I'll, it'll be it'll be fun to see regardless. Well, again, Matt, thanks for uh, joining us, and look forward to talking to you some other time. Anytime, man. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks to Matt for joining us. Good stuff about my biggest interests, the Memphis Grizzlies and Nikola Jokic. Remember to go to iTunes, give us a five-star review and rating. If you want to support the show, head to patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast, and you can join our Slack chat where we talk about basketball around the clock and get access to the weekly power rankings. And I think we're going to have a few more goodies coming up that we have planned for those Patreon members. Uh, If you want to support the Memorial Magic alumni Vanderbilt team, you can just go to fastbreakbreakfast.com and that'll redirect directly to the fan voting page that will hook us up. All right, you guys are the best. Thanks for listening. And remember, breakfast is the most important thing. Yeah, never apologize for being G and G. Fast break, break, man. You understand?